keep fighting voices in my mind that say I'm not enough. Every single lie that tells me I will never measure love. Am I more than just the sum of every again just who I am because I need to
I believe. What you say of me, I believe. Let's pray. Father, uh, that's really what it's about. Our struggle is not with what you've accomplished. Our struggle is not with what's been done on our behalf and what you have promised us. Our struggle is not with the fact that you live within us now. Our struggle is with our belief. The Apostle Paul is very aware of that, and, and so he really invested some time in trying to help us understand what it is we need to know, and, and more than know, Lord, what we need to stake, it, stake our claim on, to, to believe, to live by. And, and so as we continue this study and continue looking at Paul's words to the, to the Christians in Rome, make this real to us. So many of the battles we fight, we fight because of our lack of belief. Pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Uh, before we get into that, just a, a couple of things. Uh, you, you, I don't know if you noticed, but uh, uh, Jerry and Travis and Josh and Chuck have been working very hard this weekend. Uh, there's some changes on the stage, uh, the side curtains and all that, and uh, more changes to come. Uh, just, some, just trying to dress things up a little bit. Uh, that, that fancy, uh, those fancy slides with the moving, we, we've updated our computer, which you know we've struggled off and on with for a couple of years, and uh, we've gone to Macintosh. I think there's two reasons they did that. One is, I know nothing about it, then they want me to leave it alone, <laughs> and, and that could be part of it. And the other is, it's just, it works so much better in the kind of things that we do in, in, in going from video to slides. But I do have one, one really pet peeve, one gripe, because I, I thought there used to be two clocks to remind me what time it in. Now there's one on the screen, too. So now I have three things telling me what time it is, what time I'm supposed to stop. So I have no excuse, uh, although I never made any anyway. One, I do have a theory about the game last night, if you want my theory. I was in Lincoln on Tuesday, and I saw a billboard that said this. In frost, we trust. Somebody needs to call that guy because I think if that doesn't come down, we're going to have a very wet football season. I just, <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying, I don't know if that has anything to do with it. But I thought, okay, buddy, you're, you're, uh, you might be stepping the wrong direction there. Uh, I read an article this week uh, in World Magazine, and uh, it was an interview with a guy named Jeff Myers. Jeff Myers <laughs> might not be a familiar name to you, uh, he is the president of an organization called Summit Ministries. Uh, Summit Ministries, uh, I, if you ever have a, a uh, uh, student who is graduating from high school, and especially if they're going into a secular university uh, or a grand, grandchild that's doing that, I would really encourage you. They have a 12-day course uh, in Colorado Springs that is designed to prep young people to step into that secular arena where so many uh, are, are atheistic, uh, are uh, out really out there, are profs out there that are, that are out, part of their mission, part of their goal in their mind is to destroy uh, the faith of these young people that come in. This prepares them for that, just an outstanding uh, 
course to take, and, and uh, it's just to, to kind of get them ready for the questions, the things they're going to face. But anyway, so Jeff Myers was being interviewed, and I was reading this interview, and uh, he said some interesting things. One is, I really was intrigued because one of the questions they asked him, okay, he said, if you're, when you're talking to a person who is not a believer nowadays in this, we call this a post-Christian culture, there was a time when I was young, some of you were young, where when you began a conversation with someone, you could, you could start that conversation with certain assumptions that, that they believed that there was a God, that, that if they weren't going to church, they at least had some perspective of, of uh, the Bible. They'd been told things, and, and even ones who didn't really know God still kind of acted, believed some of that stuff. We're not in that culture anymore. We're, you, you, will, you can, and I have, you get in conversations, there is absolutely no church background, even as a child in Sunday school, they never did any of that, uh, and so it's post-Christian, that, that you can't assume the same things, and part of, then also a struggle we have is, not only are they post-Christian, but if they're, if they're paying attention to the news, if they're hearing the rhetoric, a lot of them are actually anti-Christian, and, and uh, you know, so what happens is we get in this conversation with them, and they start down this path, and right away we get defensive, don't we? It's like, oh, you know, <laughs> you don't go there. We're gonna, and uh, and so the 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 question that was asked Jeff Myers was, okay, what what do you do in those kind of conversations? He says, well, I'm going to give you four questions to ask someone that you're in a conversation with that is in a post-Christian environment, or maybe that is anti-Christian. And I thought these were wonderful questions, because we tend to, tend to defend. They say something that we don't believe, and we feel like we got to convince them that they're wrong, don't, don't we? I, I do. So here's his four questions, which I think are outstanding. You might want to take a picture of these on your phone or write them down and, and just think them through. One is, what did you mean by that? Uh, now, we, they say it, and we think we got to counter it. Sometimes we don't, shouldn't counter it. We should just say, okay, well, what do you mean by that? For one thing, we may find out they don't even know what they mean by that. Uh, and so you get that conversation going. And so instead of uh, countering, defending, okay, well, I, I hear you. What do you mean by that? Uh, what do you mean by when you say there, there is no God or when you say that, uh, you know, that religion, uh, I was reading another article this week, and, and uh, it was, you know, it was a secular, and he was saying, in his mind, religion is the, is the uh, biggest problem in the world today, religion. And, and he's lumping them all together. And so to ask the question, well, what do you mean by that? Then he said, uh, where do you get your information? You know, so, sometimes they'll say, well, the Bible's full of errors. Oh, oh yeah? Where do you get your information? Well, so-and-so, I heard so-and-so say it. Oh, okay. Maybe you ought to check it out before you say that. Or how do you know you're right? Uh, I had a conversation just recently, and, and the person said, I, I don't believe in hell. And, and uh, you know, I didn't, an, I didn't ask this question. I didn't have it there, but it would have been a great question. How do you know you're right? And what happens if you're wrong? You know, those are, you know, there, there are things that uh, are not a big deal if I'm wrong about. But if I'm wrong about that, that could be a huge thing. So anyway, that, I thought these were great questions. I, I thought I'd throw them out to you. But here's what was intriguing to me, because the, the interviewer then went, and he, the next question he asked was along these lines. He says, okay, what is it that you think hinders Christians in living the life that they're supposed to live today? And part of the background was, uh, obviously, if we're not living uh, in, in, a, in a life that, that shows that Christ makes a difference, we also 
shut down our message to the world because they're saying, you know, <laughs> there's no difference. Why, why do I need that? You got the same struggles, the same issues, same habits, the same addictions. You got, so why do I need this Christ thing that you talk about? So he said, so what is it that you see that hinders uh, or keep, what are the barriers that are keeping a Christian from living the life that's fully committed to Christ? You could answer that in, in a number of different ways, but I think that is really the background behind what Paul is talking about here. Because he's saying, and we're going to see this, he, he's saying really the biggest barrier that hinders us from living is what we believe. Now, the, this answer to this question shows up in a couple different places. Uh, the, the writer of Hebrews said, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Now, so he said it that way. He said that, you know, there are these things that are hindering us, but still we come back to that question, okay, well, but what are, what is it that hinders us? What is it? And it's the mind. Paul says the biggest thing that we have going against us is the way we think. That's our struggle. We're going to see that as we continue to work through chapter 6. You're going to see that over and over again. Our biggest problem is we still don't think correctly. You know, I talked about it, shared about it in the last couple of messages. You know, we kind of think that this Christian life, it is about that moment you finally understood that you needed to accept God's offer of forgiveness, that gift that he's offering, and you accepted that forgiveness and then, and then the next part is that someday you're going to be with them. And in the meantime, we're kind of here to figure it out on our own and somehow, you know, make it work. And, and that's, the, that's our perspective. We're thinking wrong. That is not what God had in mind at all. So our problem is our mind. It is, it is the way we think. That's what Paul's going to say over and over. When we get into chapter 6, he's going to give a vivid illustration. Paul's going to share personal testimony about, about how his wrong thinking in fact, was so destructive that if you look at the end of chapter 1, he's going to end after he's walked through this personal example of saying, wretched men that I am, who will deliver me from this body of sin and death? Wrong thinking leads to that, even as a believer. Oh, I'm, I'm such, you know, I, I can never get it right. I try, I work, I, you know, I, I promise myself, I promise God, I promise my spouse and I can never make it work. And it's because we're not thinking correctly. Later on in Romans, Paul's going to say it this way. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, it's about, it's about understanding. It's about thinking correctly about who you are because of your relationship with Jesus Christ and what he's done for us, for you and I. And that's going to be the message as we work through this. Go, if you haven't already, open your Bibles to Romans 6. As we continue to work down through uh, this passage, uh, we'll, we'll hit into verses 5 through 7 today or, or on your devices. And just kind of a, a reminder, here's the big question that Paul introduced as we started. He says, why, why can't I just keep seeing? He's just, he's just talking about the grace of God and how, how God's grace is so huge 
so big that it can cover, it doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't even matter what your present and future are. God's grace covers all sin. And, he, and out of that, he's come up, he says, all right, now some of you are going to respond to that. Well, then why don't I just keep sinning? God's grace covers any and every sin. Then what's the big deal? Keep sinning. So now he's answering that question. You say, and, and as we walk down through that, uh, he, first he says, really the big picture is, even to say such a thing says, shows that we don't think correctly. But we've walked down through and he says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism, through death, in order that just as Christ was raised in the dead, we too may live a new life. Now, there's two things there. Number one is he says one reason you shouldn't keep on sinning is the simple fact that you have publicly, and back in those days, baptism was just, I mean, it was, it was immediate. It was automatic. Uh, and, and that's why it's so important. It, God commanded Jesus. His last statement on planet Earth was, go therefore and make disciples, lead people to Christ, and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is, this is a huge thing. It is not a, a, a part of what saves us from the results of our sin. That all happened because of what Christ did on the cross. But he wants us to be willing to be public. And the assumption was, remember, we talked about this. Paul assumes they've all been baptized as believers. That's just, it was just natural. And he says, so first of all, he says, realize you made a public statement. People saw you as you were baptized, declare that you were Jesus Christ, that he was your Lord and Savior, that you were going to follow him, live for him, that you recognized that he had, he had taken your sins and forgiven them and that they had been buried with Christ in that grave. And when Christ rose to the new, to the new life, you rose a new person as a result. He says, you've made that declaration. Why would you then turn around and, and move back into the same junk that you were in before. But there's even bigger than just that public ignition. He's saying something actually happened at that moment when you accepted God's forgiveness. Your sins actually were. They, you're, there was a death that took place on that cross. And then it wasn't just Jesus. It was a death, as we're going to see more, we work through. So it's this death of this old person that you were at one time. Here's where Paul's going to go today. He's going to make this statement. Dead men don't. Now, there's a lot of things we could put on to that list. Uh, but here's what he says. For, for you know that our, in, that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died, has been freed from sin. He's saying, wait a minute, this makes no sense at all. You say, why can't I just go on sinning since God's grace? He said, don't you realize that person, that nature that controlled you up to that point where you understood God's offer of forgiveness, it died. He's dead. She's dead. And, and dead men don't sin. That's just, it, it, it just makes no sense. Uh, years ago, I, I ran across, come back there in a second, some of you are already chuckling a little bit. There's, there's a, in, in New York, in the in state of New York, upstate New York, uh, is a little town called Hurley. Now, remember, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the movie. Uh, it was, uh, shouldn't have gone down that direc- direction because I can't remember the name of the movie. But anyway, this little town, Hurley, this is where the movie, part of the movie was filmed. And in this, in this little town was a, a graveyard. Uh, it would be, it's one of those graveyards off the side of a church, old, old, old church that was built in the 1600s. 
And a lot of the gravestones were in 1600s. Really amazing. In fact, I had kind of grown, I'd grown up mostly out west here in the Midwest, and I didn't know that we had gravestones in the United States that old until I got back there. But it was so cool because you could walk through it, and a lot of them, they had, they had their epitaph on there, and, and they would write. Some of them had witness. They, they actually, you could tell they were believers by what they wrote on their stone. Well, one of the stones said this. Here I lie, I'm now deceased. My wife can't nag me, so I'll rest in peace. <laughs> yeah, you know? Uh, but here, so, so Paul says, you know, dead, dead men can't be nagged by their wives anymore. Now, I'm going to come back to that in a moment, even that out. But uh, yeah, dead men, they don't worry about bills. Dead women, they don't worry about the future. Dead men don't worry about that worn tire. Dead men, dead women don't worry about their kids. Now, I, couldn't, I would put dead men there, but my wife says I don't worry enough anyway. She does all the worrying about that for both of us. So dead men don't. And then he says, don't you realize when, when you accepted that gift of forgiveness, your sins were placed with Christ on the cross. They were buried in that grave. You are a new person. You're a new, in fact, that that power that rose him from the dead, he's going to come back to, is the power that lives within you and I. Dead men don't, don't do those kinds of things. In fact, you know the reality is? Dead men don't get to decide what's on their tombstone, which is what's remarkable to me about that tombstone. Because he was gone. Why did his wife follow through with what he wanted to be put on there? If, if I had been her, I, I would have been something like this. Here he lies, the lazy bum. Now that he's gone, we'll have some fun. So, yeah, she could have. Because dead men can't decide what's on their tombstone. They may think they can, but they're gone now. So, <laughs> See, our problem is not grace. It, it is not just that sin is such a powerful thing. It's that we don't think right. We're not realistic. We don't really comprehend what God said he has done within us. If we've been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly be united with him in his resurrection. What he's saying there is, is that same power that, that allowed him, that raised him from the grave, from the dead, is the power that he's invested in you and I. And here's our problem. Our problem is we fight these battles on our own. You know, we, we, we say, uh, you know, I, I, this, I have this, this thing that keeps haunting me, and I know it's wrong, and I know it's ungodly, and, and you know what? This is the last time. I'm never going to do this again. Until the next time. And then the reality is, if we're honest with ourselves, that next opportunity comes, and we have that moment to make a decision. But we rely on ourselves, and the reality is, myself, I still want to do that. Otherwise, I wouldn't. Isn't that truth? I don't do things I really don't want to do most of the time, unless Mary tells me to, then I do them anyway. So when I come to those moments, instead of saying, okay, God, you know me, <laughs> you know my heart, you know I really want to do this. I promised last time, uh, it cost me every time, and, and 
I promised last time I would never do it again, but hey, if I have my way, I'm going to do this. So I'm going to need your help, God. You said you've, you've killed, you've given me the power, the same power that, wrote, that raised Jesus from the dead it is now within me. And so, Lord, I need your help to think correctly about this because I don't have to do that anymore. With your help, I have a choice because that old person died. So help me, Lord. You know, it's interesting that word says if we've been united with him, that's the word planted. It's like something that, in fact, uh, you know, it's, it's an interesting word. It's like planting two things together. And so because they're planted together, when they grow up, they, you, can almost, you can't, you can't uh, kind of tell what's what. And, uh, you know, we have, I don't know, if you ever go by our house, up by our mailbox, this is really pretty flowering plant. I don't know what it's called. My wife could tell you. But in the midst of that is this beautiful weed, big weed, big, you know. And, uh, and my wife's been telling me for weeks, See, I don't always what she says. She's been telling me for weeks that that needs pulled. Well, yesterday we're, we're sitting in the living room, and she's looking out the, our, our window, and somebody's walking by our, our house and our mailbox, and they pause, and she said, they're looking at your weed. <laughs> well, it kind of all looks like the same thing now, you know. It's kind of going up together. Well, that word, that's what's involved. I don't know if any of you have ever, how many of you have been to the, the Redwood Forest? I've been there a number of times. Amazing, amazing out in California. In fact, our... Mary Lou and I, 30th anniversary, that's one of the things we did. We flew out to, to Oregon and rented a motorcycle and, and rode a motorcycle down through there, down to San Francisco. Uh, and just, they're so powerful. I've been told, I don't know if this is true, actually. I tried to verify it and could not find this information. So I may be totally wrong about this, but it works in my illustration, so I'm going to use it anyways. I've been told that there was a time when, when those huge trees that are, are, some of them have been around since the time of Christ, there was time when there were a number of trees, but as they grew, as time went by, they grew together and, and actually now look like just one huge tree. And, and he's saying that's kind of, he's using that terminology, he says that's who we are. We have been united with Christ. We've been planted together with him. When, when he died on the cross, he took us with him. Our sin, all those things that... that destined for us to break our relationship with God forever. He took them on himself. And when he died and was buried, our old person, that old life, that sinfulness, that, that slavery, he's going to say later, that slavery to sin died. Our problem is we don't believe that, you know. You say it, God, but... I don't believe it because I keep losing because I think it's up to me. <laughs> and I've already proved that I don't win those victories. If we've been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly be united with him in his resurrection. Not only that, he says, hey, it's a given. Don't you realize now you and Christ you're together, and, and you are, as, 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 as much as we absolutely know Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, you and I are going to be as well. That's a given. So start living like this. Start thinking like who you really are, this new creation. 
We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. You and I are free. We just don't believe it. The message, I like the way they put things sometimes, and here's these verses in the message. That's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we're lowered into the water, it's like the burial of Jesus. And when we're raised up from the water, it's like the resurrection of Jesus. Each of us is raised into a light-filled world by our Father so that we can see where we're going in our new grace, new grace, sovereign country. Could it be any clearer? Our old, our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ. A decisive end to that sin, miserable life. No longer at sin's beck and call. See, we're still listening. We don't have to. Not because in ourselves we're powerful enough to do anything about this, but because it's not up to us. We have the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, living in you and I now. It's time to start thinking like that. Start thinking like, instead of thinking like, you know, there's just no way. I did it again. I'm never going to get past this. Uh, or even instead of, okay, God, I won't. I'm not going to do this again. I promise. Start recognizing that, God, you've placed in me the power. Not my own power, your power. I don't have to live in defeat anymore. If I'm living in defeat, if I'm losing those battles over and over again, it's because I'm choosing to. I'm not thinking correctly. I need to start thinking right. See, it's about the mind. Paul's going to go on, talk more about this. But as we close this morning, let's spend a little time talking to God, you and I, each in our own heart, just between you and God, and let's tell God, okay, God, I, I want to think right about this. You've declared I'm a new person. I'm not a slave to sin anymore. I've been living like I am. I've been living like the chains are still there, even though they've been taken away. Let me start seeing myself through your eyes. Give me that new mind. Let's pray. Spend a little moment with you and God, and then I'll close this. <coughs> the battle's in our mind, Lord. You make it clear through your apostle Paul here. Our problem is we don't think right. <clears throat> got to renew our mind. We got to start seeing ourselves, not just through your eyes, but seeing ourselves through this new reality. It, it doesn't have to be a life lived, reminded of failures, of unkept promises, of 
losing the battle once again. Doesn't have to be that way anymore. But if we keep relying on ourselves and keep thinking it's up to us or that we even have the power in our own strength, self-will, whatever, to move into a new direction, a new life, we're, we're still going to be finding that it's failure. We have to start thinking correctly that we have a power in us now that is the power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead. Our sins, past, present, and future, were buried with Christ on the cross. And like he rose, we've really a new creation. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. You say it. I believe it. Pray these things in your son's name.